Well, hello everybody. I'm Purple Trader 3169 and this is my dad, Dan hello. Pinkston. Hello. I convinced him to watch this podcast. And by watching it, he has to participate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no choice. It's um, I'm going to double check our sound here. It sounds like it works. Okay. Um, on today's episode uh, of, well, isn't that interesting? We are talking about history because my dad is a history buff and the myth or truth of history. So, we're going to start off, what is a myth? <laughs> Does everybody know what a myth is? A myth is usually a traditional story of ostensibly historical events that serves to unfold part of the worldview of a people or explain a practice, belief, or natural phenomenon. So, where did you get that definition? I got that definition from Britannica. Uh, I just want to make sure everyone is aware, A, I am going to be called out so much on this <laughs> podcast, <laughs> B, <laughs> it might end in tears. <laughs> and hers too. Yeah. <laughs> laughter or dismay we're not sure yeah <laughs> so for most of the beginning of time most history was recorded um, through oral traditions like storytelling songs uh, poetry and all of that mm -hmm. so it wasn't until like uh, 3500 BCE that writing was really, um, it wasn't invented until 3500 BCE. And that was in Mesopotamia and the Sumerians. Kind of interesting to me was that around the same time, independently, um, in the Indus uh, Indus Valley, they were inventing writing as well. China independently invented writing as well, but that wasn't until like 500 BCE, like okay. like 2,500 years later. So, but when they started. Uh, writing it wasn't for anything like for history it was for trade um, so that they could communicate across you know long distances and make contracts and you know um, for money and things like that so they weren't actually like they weren't writing down why they were you know their history mm -hmm. um, well, as I recall, one of the first written documents was that they've been able to 
decipher was one merchant writing to another one complaining about the quality of copper that, <laughs> yeah. that they received when they were trading. So, yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Did it say one star? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting it on my Yelp, on your Yelp review. Right, exactly. <laughs> so... <laughs> um, so yeah, and then eventually it was religion and law. Um, the first, the father of history, so they say, mm -hmm. is Herodotus. Yes, that's correct. Um, do you know much about Herodotus? Uh, well, I've read some of his history. He was Greek. Yeah. In the classical Greek period. You read it? Yes. It's, actually, it's good reading. It's pretty interesting. Some of it stories we have today are from his um, his chronicles, including like the story of Midas and and others that of course some of it may have been fairly contemporaneous, but a lot of it was probably just recording the stories that he'd heard before. But yes, he's probably the most famous historian. Was it hard to understand? Oh, it was Greek to me. <laughs> <laughs> I set myself up for that one. <laughs> That's right. No, actually, it's it's actually a very interesting reading. It's, yeah. um, I mean, you can just sit down and read it. It's not for a specialist or anything like that. Oh, okay. But, yes. Um, so, history, as we have kind of delved into here are documents, diaries, letters, drawings, memoirs created by those who participated in or witnessed the events of the past. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's important um, with the invention of writing because we couldn't get those documents or, you know, drawings or anything like that without people writing. There is a caveat here. What's that? People for, you know, up until, you know, probably about 200 years ago, if not, you know, less than that, people didn't, weren't educated unless they were rich. So most people didn't know how to read or write. Well, so. an interesting, interesting point, and I must disagree with you on that point. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there was, like in America of 200 years ago, there was a high proportion of people who knew how to read and write. So it's not as. I must as disagree you might think. with you. <laughs> okay. Seventy-nine percent of nationwide, as of 2022, are illiterate. How many? 79, I mean, not illiterate, are literate. Oh, okay. <laughs> Point proven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, 79%. 100% of podcast commentators are illiterate, <laughs> yeah. apparently. <laughs> no, 79% uh, are literate. Yeah. So. Well, I think the actual. I mean, that's Depends on how you define literacy, because I'm sure actually it's much higher than that. Right. I mean, they may not be able to read and write well, but 
almost everyone knows how to read and write, right. at least in this country. Right. So well, maybe the people you run with. Well, when I was at Harvard Law School, most of those people could read and write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Uh, exactly. But, well, the but you know, it's not. History is also, like you were saying, with myth. Um, when you think back to the cave drawings from 200,000 years ago, mm-hmm. I mean, they were recording some version of either past events or of you know their philosophy or just observations of nature. But they were leaving some something that we can try to decipher. Right. You know exactly what they were having to say, but. Um, there has been a like with you know the storytelling and so forth that that's a constant that people want to have an idea of where they came from and what happened before them right and we still do right well so what is the difference between history and myth okay why do we have myth or why does history uh, turn into myth well, it's, sometimes it's hit or myth. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mappy. <laughs> um, so, you've—they have a thing called euhemerism. Is that how you pronounce it? Euhemerism. Yeah. I thought that was something you took mm-hmm. preparation H for. Euhemerism. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It is, historical <laughs> accounts become myths as they are exaggerated in the retelling, elaborations, and alterations that reflect uh, cultural mores. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, what it's trying to say there is um, mostly, like, especially with oral traditions, when you're saying a story over and over again to make it more exciting or uh, whatever, you're elaborating on it or you're making um, making it more exciting by adding a little detail here or making something a little bit mm-hmm. better. And so eventually it turns into George Washington had wooden teeth. Right. Or, you know, he chopped down a cherry tree or, you know these things turn into, you know, not necessarily fabrications, but they weren't true. (laughs) Well, I mean, they're true on some level, maybe not literally true, but they're true in the sense of what is important to human beings. And the um, myth is, there's a famous author named Joseph Campbell, who has charted out some of the standard myths uh, and themes of that people have had through all different kinds of cultures, mm-hmm. like the myth, the myth of the or the the theme of the hero, right? The hero who comes from humble origins. He has to face um, some kind of obstacle and overcome it. And you know, suffer um, problems and difficulties, and ultimately triumphs. Yeah. I mean, that's a common theme in you know, yeah. Western, not just Western culture, but all kinds of cultures, because it has 
I think it reflects a human need for storytelling mm -hmm. and to make sense of the world. Because what difficult for people to think about is an idea that the world is simply random and nothing means anything. Mm -hmm. And it, that may very well be what the world is really like. Right. But it's our part of our brain is to try to impose order on events and on the way people react to things and they do it oftentimes through stories. Right. So that's that's the origin, you know, of the the myth. Basically, people want to understand something about the world. Right. And of course at the beginning of human history, you know, there were many things that they didn't have a scientific explanation for. So they needed to create an explanation like the, you know, the myths that of the, uh, you know, creation of the world right. and where people came from and, and what the external signs about them mean, like what does thunder mean, what does lightning mean, why is it there? Why do, try to explain why it is that um, people are here but they suffer. Right. Why did they suffer? Is it because of something they've done wrong? Is it because uh, they're being punished by some god? Is it chance? Mm -hmm. Is it something inherent in human nature that makes it difficult for people to... Um, that makes them um, be unkind to each other. You know, why are there wars? All these things. And people are trying to, they've been trying to put it into some kind of comprehensible order. And that's what, that's what, you know, why there are myths, why there is storytelling. And we still have it, to, we still have storytelling today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a way of imposing order on a disorderly universe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not just, I mean, look at, for example, uh, it's not pre, just pre-literate um, peoples. I mean, look at the way people look at American history, for example, and you were mentioning with George Washington and so on. You know, we have a creation myth that our country, you know, what, what was the reason why, for example, we, well, go back even further, why is it, why was it okay for Europeans to invade this continent and take over from the Indians? Right. And so, you know, we had to, at that time, back then, the idea was, well, we're civilizing the Indians that you know, we can't. We as Europeans can use this land in a way that um, will be productive. Where, from their way of thinking at the time, Indians weren't doing that, or Native Americans. They were hunting, and they were, but they were subsisting, you know, pretty well. Right. But uh, we had to find a way to justify taking over the whole country, and um, you know, part of it was. People were thinking that there was some Christian ideal, Christian reason, Christian, you know, to Christianize people who needed to be enlightened. Right. But in you know, in reality, it was a natural human 
impulse to keep moving and to take over, to take what you can take, yeah. to make your own life better and the you know the life of your children better. And so, but sometimes, even though that is the natural human way of being, sometimes it needs to be dressed up, or at least people feel it needs to be dressed up in a way to um, to make it more morally uh, acceptable. Yeah. And to give a reason for it. So, our our creation myth in this country is that uh, you know we needed to throughout the British and it was because we wanted freedom and we wanted religious freedom and we wanted all these things but of course it's only now you know the reckoning of what does it mean to have a country based on freedom when it was based in large part on slavery right I right mean, huge amounts and what does it mean that it's based on freedom but the economics have been such that um, people who or have-nots, they might officially have freedom, but they don't necessarily have real freedom. Right. And so, you know, we've come to this idea, uh, you know, a, a picture that everything in our past was perfect and that it was all justified. But, you know, it, it's it's not a simple not a simple topic because there were horrible things that were going on at the time and you know the way the white people treated the uh, you know black people especially but also Indians and also others uh, it cannot be justified right and at the time it seemed that was just what everybody thought and now we look back and realize that that was not the way it should be yeah. or should have been. Right. But it was. And people don't, don't really have a good idea of how racist things were back up. I mean, they still are to some extent, but particularly before the, like the 1940s. And it, it's shocking when you read much history to see what people were really saying yeah. at the time, and as you can't hardly even believe it. But you know, one good thing is that things are are getting better. Mm -hmm. There's you know a question whether or not people are just inherently biased, or raced, or biased or prejudiced against people who do not look like their group. Right. You know, is that a uh, is that a relic of um, tribalism that people have? Right. You know, it's, uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, can you really get past those things? We can, certainly in a legal way, which we have done more or less. Right. But is it, is it, can you really get there on a humanistic basis? Yeah. Or is With it everybody? Yeah. Or is it just come down to well, you have to recognize your inherent biases and that you're going to feel differently about people who don't look like you. Right. And I mean if maybe that can be gotten over. I think there's less of it now, but 
um, it may just be an inherent human trait. Right. Anyway, and a lot of what you know history is recorded is has been recorded by people as a way of justifying what they've what they or their forebears have done. Yeah. And that. Um, and that the, inherently makes history history books bias. Well, know? and you kind of have to look at it as when you think about it that everything that happens, mm -hmm. there are huge numbers of things happening all at once, and no one can comprehend all of it. Yeah. So the historian, whether it's an official historian, you know, writing a history, or if it's just the, the people's concept, chooses certain aspects of what has happened to... Um, to emphasize or to record. Right. And then when that happens, that that process of selection is inherently not comprehensive. Right. I mean, it's inherently an act of choice. Yeah. To decide what was important. Yeah, I mean, you can't, like, you can't just be, a, you know... Something is happening here. You can't say, and this is happening here at the same time. You can't. You can't do that. I mean, it's physically impossible to write words on the same page at the same time. Right. You know, you can't say, you know, in Germany this was happening. Meanwhile, in China. Yeah. <laughs> You know, well, like, that's. I mean, there are some historians who try to do that. I mean, yeah. you can't do it on a scale that could really represent reality of what happened because right. it's impossible. It's too much. Yeah. Um, and there are different types of history, and and the kind of history people find important is changing to some degree. Right. So, in the you know before. It was a lot of it was the history of kings and queens and and what happened politically, right? And what was happening at the high quote highest levels of society. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that has been explored. I mean, it's still being you know you still read books about that all the time. They're all you know they're mm -hmm. being published often. Uh, for example, I just listened to an audio book of. A biography of Abraham Lincoln mm -hmm. by a guy named Michael Burlingame, which was I listened to it on audio. It was over forty, almost fifty hours. Jeez. But <laughs> the point is, that's another. That was another, more or less political explanation of what was going on at the, during Abraham Lincoln's life. But there's now there's more interest in not just what the prominent what rich people were doing. Right. It's also, there's now more of an interest in what um, what women were doing, what minorities were doing, what poor people were doing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and they, and it's not simply, it's not as much now just an explanation of events. There's much more of an emphasis, and this has been for, you know, probably the past 75 years, much more of an emphasis on studying the the lives of everyday people. Yeah. And both in 
a narrative way, you know, narrative history is, t is telling a story. There's also a history of searching out statistical things right. and trying to explain from that what was going on, like people who might look at you know, the, the history of um, you know, what farms were producing at the time and right. how many, what percentage of people worked on farms and how many worked in factories and what kind of real income did they have and what was the distribution of, of income mm -hmm. and opportunities among people. Right. And that um, that has been a, a real theme uh, over the last maybe even century. And there has been an, an emphasis on, on trying to, emphasis on trying to recover the history of people who whose stories were not told before. I mean, that's why, there's an emphasis on feminist history. You know, that's mm -hmm. why there's an emphasis on trying to tell the story of of black people and how they lived and you know how they what they went through as slaves and then you know how they were treated so terribly after the Civil War. For example, you know, talking about revisionist history, the story we all heard, we used to hear, was the Civil War was to free the slaves, and that when the slaves were freed, then, you know, it was a great thing, which it was, but what people don't really think about, and <coughs> people who, who have this kind of rosy idea of what American history was, they don't think about how after the Civil War, the, uh, the former Confederates and the white people basically conspired to uh, make laws that kept black people in basically the same position they were in yeah. as slaves. Right. And, you know, used violence against them and used violence against people who were trying to help black people. And it was a terrible, terrible time in history. I mean, and not to mention, like, you know, they couldn't, um, like, you know, they couldn't own property, right? Well, they could own property, but, you know, when they were, slave, when they were slaves, there were slave codes which said, you know, you can't teach black people to read or write. Right. And that, you know, I mean, it was until fairly recently, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't allow a black person to testify in court against a white person. They wouldn't allow black people to be on juries. They, you know, yeah, there were well, voting and you know, yeah, and obviously like, voting. I mean, and they, once they got the vote in the 1860s, then the powers that be in the South and sometimes in the North, I guess, they uh, got together and tried to figure out ways to prevent blacks from voting. And like, for example, they had the poll tax, where you had to go before you could vote, you had to go pay money as a tax to pay to vote and so they would set it high enough that you know your average black person or yeah. poor person couldn't vote or you would um they would have literacy tests where they'd have some ridiculously elaborate test to prove that you were should be able to vote you know they'd ask right. you some obscure question obviously designed that you couldn't right. answer and uh, to prevent you from voting hmm. So, the 
people who have this rosy view of what history was like, what it was like, are deluding themselves. Right. And they have, sometimes they have that view because they are concerned about things changing. And they, they're afraid that the, um, the power of white people is eroding. Mm -hmm. and, and it's true. And part of it is because of differing views about politics. And part of it is simply because there's a, demographically, things mm -hmm. are changing. So how you view history is in many ways a political act. Like for example, people who are, uh, say, quote, patriotic, they don't want to hear criticisms about what what had happened in this country before. Right. It's like the, you know, they're passing laws that you can't teach in middle school or you know anything that basically denigrates history or would I think one of these laws says that not, you can't teach anything that would make one group feel yeah sorry or sad or or responsible for the problems of another group which is it's for anybody who knows anything about history it's revisionism it's like it's not the way it was and and the political reason for doing that is you know, partly because um, they're concerned that some people are concerned that they're losing the power of the narrative of American history yeah and um, and it is changing I mean people are being more realistic yeah but it can go the other way too I mean there were very good things about American history. There was an underlying idea that religion should not control you know the political establishment and and so forth. And you know you can't and should not ignore those things. There are right. good things. You know, we have basically fair elections. We have open, you know, open I can go out on the street and say the president is a scoundrel and, and nobody's going to come and arrest me for that. I mean, that's many places you can't do that. Yeah. You know, people who... It's this conundrum of... When you're looking at freedom of speech, and I, I happen to be an absolutist when it comes to freedom of speech. I think there should be no constraints on freedom of speech. Right. But the problem is then you allow people who are against freedom of speech <laughs> use the freedom of speech yeah. to try and, and oppress like a, other people. It's, right. Yeah, <laughs> Catch that, that's there. the thing. That's the hard part. <laughs> I mean, so. Well, so going along with that revisionist um, type theme there. Napoleon said, history is a fable agreed upon. So That's exactly right. It it, it is. It becomes it becomes the, the the sort of joint collective memory yeah. of people. Even though it may not be accurate, 
Right. But there's a need for that so that people have some commonality in how they perceive their society and what how they got there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, it's like what the import of that quote is that um, history, writing history is a selective process. Yeah. And it's not constant over time. You know, if you go back and read histories from like the 1920s and, well, actually before that, you know, where it was based on the theory of um, manifest destiny. It was the destiny of white people to move over and to, to move across the country and develop, you know, the resources of the country and to focus on individual effort. Yeah. And it was the mission or at least or the right of those people to conquer the Native American people and to have a war with with Mexico and all of these things that mm-hmm. um and that narrative has changed a lot, you know, as as probably the academic world has gotten very very liberal. Well, I mean, that also is one of the things I have here is it's kind of like, um, it's kind of biased because, history is biased because it's based on, like, who, it's based on perspective. Who is the one interpreting it? Mm -hmm. Who, like, captured it? You know who's there, but then who's interpreting that? Who's right. interpret and who's editing it? Right. So, like, say you're writing a history book, and but if you're writing it from the perspective of the Mexicans, it's going to be a lot different history book than it will be from, you know, the colonizers or you know. Oh, that's exactly right, and a lot of it is it's written for an audience's preconceived ideas about right. what, what was it, what either what happened or what's important or why it's important. I mean, think about like a history of Israel by Israelis, you know, Jews who came from uh, Europe after World War II and mm-hmm. basically had to take it from the from the British mm-hmm. versus a history written by the Palestinian people. Who were there and who were pushed out now theoretically for a good reason so yeah. that the Jews had a homeland right but from their perspective here's another invader that's come and you know trashed us no matter how much they've suffered now we're suffering right so it is a I think what you were just saying is is very very much true yeah well I'm like kind of and then you add layers onto that where, you know, like you're saying, in 1910 it's saying X, Y, Z. And then I come back, read that 100 years later, I'm like, well, they said this. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard over, th- and then, you know, over hundreds and thousands of years, you're reading, you know, all these multiple layers of, it's hard to, you know, Unless you dig really deep, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to get a, the real story of how everybody kind of p- 
puzzle pieced together. Yeah. You know. Well, and I think you know one of the it's it's sad that so many people have no interest in history. Yeah. And uh, and what you always hear is, oh, I didn't like it in school because I I didn't want to just you know memorize dates and things like that. Well, the problem is at at early stages, if you don't have much context, that's the yeah. You need this basic kind of understanding of what happened generally. Right. And, of course, the farther you go in studying history and the more you read about it, then the more these ideas of what does history really mean. It's not as simple as you think when you're in middle school. Right. I mean, uh, and that's where... The study, the study of writing history is called historiography, mm -hmm. and um, you know there are great philosophic uh, movements, and they've changed over the years about how history should be written and what it, like what history means. Stuff? Well, like you know, like should you, to what extent should it be a chronicle? A chronicle is basically this happened then this happened mm -hmm. okay or should it be interpreted like, should uh, it be like this happened because x right. happened and why and then why was a result of that well and the problem with that is, is if it's too interpretive that lends itself to biases and yeah no that's true that's exactly true because it's it's essentially all history beyond just a timeline is mm -hmm. interpretive. Yeah. It's selective. Right. And the select, how it's selected is a result of the bias of the person who is doing the selecting. Yeah. And that can be either, I mean, you can try to supplant that bias. You can try to be more inclusive, you, to, to be more open-minded, or, or not. I mean, right. but it, it's going to be inherently in there somewhere right you know and there's also there's a, a a theory that probably most people used to have not so much now i don't think that human beings are progressing over time that mm -hmm. things are getting better and better and better mm -hmm. and we particularly thought that i think in the, after world war ii Mm -hmm. And as things did get better for most people, you know, race relations were improving. People were, you had the growth of more of a middle class. People had good incomes. They had a way to make a good living. Mm -hmm. And then as the economy has changed, and it, with global warming and with all these wars and with, you know, Black Lives Matter and... All these things that have happened, I think people are losing the idea that things will necessarily get better. Well, I mean, as a tangent to that, as kind of like if we go down that road, is it because we're too, we're looking at it too microscopically? Is it because we're just, okay, well, you know, the past 10 years really have sucked, mm -hmm. instead of being like, well, compared to... 400 years right. ago, we're right. way better yeah. off. And that, that's, like, <laughs> that's true. Well, we are. We are here. Yeah. You know, there are people living in India and Africa and other places who are not much better off than right. they were then. Oh, that's true. And, that's true. Uh, but, but it also, it kind of goes back 
to a certain degree to this question of whether or not you think people are perfectible, mm-hmm. whether there are inherent things in human nature that will mean we always have wars, we will always have poverty, we will always have people who want to take power and control other people, mm-hmm. and uh, and who will want to oppress other people. Yeah. And Or do you think, which is kind of a conservative way of thinking, you know, conservatives tend to think uh, that people are inherently bad. Leftists tend to think people are inherently good. Right. And that they are, things are going, are improving and are, can be improved. Right. And that's a constant tension among thinking people. Right. What, what is the, what is the real, um, what is the real basic human nature? I mean, or, you know, there's a, yet a third way, which is to think we're just animals. Mm -hmm. And that, there is no necessarily inevitable progression or regression it's in just human. The way things are going. Right. It's just people are they're a mixture of rationality and of emotion and of you know hatred of others, but also a desire to be altruistic. Mm-hmm. And um, so history. The way history is written tends to reflect what people think about those kinds of things. What yeah. each author tends to think about it. Right. And, you know, there are trends in history writing, which, because people who write history, they want to to put their views out there, which means some kind of receptive audience. Mm-hmm. Now, well, the thing, too, about that is, you know, one of the things I... I wrote or I put down here is in this society especially you are put in an algorithm and number one you're getting the people who aren't like you who are reading thousands of (laughs) history books all day long every day Mm -hmm. they're putting an algorithm and they're seeing four sentences about history Mm -hmm. and that's it and it's about the thing that they like. Yeah. And that's it. Right, They're not right. seeing anything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but when you do tend to pick up a history book, it's, hey, I like Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read about that. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hey, let me read a, a book about, you know, the War of 1812. Or I don't know. Yeah, you know, something whatever. completely different would be mm-hmm. something in Europe yeah. at that time. Right. <laughs> you know. Nobody is going to, because they want instant gratification, now people are just not doing it. Yeah. Well, that's where education should come in, because in education, you should be exposed to things, which you may or may not end up agreeing with. Right. And it depends on how it's taught, but at least it exposes you to different viewpoints. Right. And whereas, I think, like what you're saying... People tend to self-select things to read or to um, be interested in that confirm their biases that they already have. Right. Like they, like you said, with the algorithm. I mean, the algorithm 
looks at what you've done in the past and predicts what you like. Yeah. Oh, I see that you like Abraham Lincoln. Right. I see that you like this author. Right. You know. So, yeah, and it, it may show, based on the kind of book I've read about, say, Abraham Lincoln, it may either send me recommendations for books that say how great he was, right. or that, and there are many books out there that say that he was a terrible president, that he should never have, that the Civil War was never about slavery, which it right. was. Right. Uh, or it was, you know, from a Confederate viewpoint, or that are saying that we should be venerating the, you know, the Confederate history. Right. And, um, and like you said, you, you, the way things are set up today, maybe they've always been this way, you only are fed things that do not challenge you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we all, I mean, whether or not there's an algorithm, we all do that in, in you know, in human life. We right. we seek out the things that we find comfortable, that we find understandable, you know, that's in accord with our basic personality and basic nature. Right. That's, that's humans do that. I mean, you can't be realistically... You can't be constantly seeking to um, challenge your own beliefs. It's hard right. to do. Yeah. It's hard to do. It's uncomfortable. Well, and, it's uncomfortable and it's tiring. <laughs> well, it, that's exactly right. And plus, the fact that you know your view may be correct on some level. I mean, it may yeah. not be that. You know, if I yeah. seek out books that, or articles or whatever that say that. You know, all uh, all of white quote white civilization is corrupt and should be you know the Western patriarchy needs to be taken down and you know everything about it is wrong. I I like to think that I have a more nuanced view of the world than that, but it can be uncomfortable. Right. And plus, when you hear things like that, which are not consistent with your basic view of the world, you instinctively push back against it. Yeah. And you're never going to get to a point where everybody agrees on anything, really. Yeah. I mean, of any significance. Yeah. So that's that's just you know part of being a, a, a thinking person in the world. I. But one thing I would have to, uh, I would make a pitch for, I mean, not that people care that much, but if you know history, if you know the basics of it, even the basics of it, it improves your enjoyment and understanding of the world by so much. I mean, if you don't, many things, I think to a lot of people, will just seem mystifying why certain things happen. Yeah in society or in, you know, here's this war or here's this, you know, political movement or whatever, or here's this economic theory. If you don't understand about those things generally, then you you don't really get an idea of why things are happening and you don't know how to really react to it. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the great tragedy of people not knowing their history, yeah. is that there are so many subtleties of what is happening in the world 
that you can't really judge well without knowing what came before. Right. Yeah. And so that, you know that's the pitch for um, for historical education. Yeah. And and also reading about things you know as you get older. I mean, and let's face well, it, our, our popular culture is such these days that it's. 99% of it is fluff. Yeah. Of course, it probably yeah. always was. I mean, it's never been like, oh, you know, 60% of the people were sitting around reading history or philosophy. Right. They weren't. They had to make a living. Yeah. You know, and, this, and we all want to be amused and entertained. Yeah. That's, that's human nature. It's so weird um, when I do these podcasts mm-hmm. and I... I really, like, do the research and everything like that, and I, it's so weird because 90% of the material that's out there is regurgitated from one website to the next, like yeah. word for word, yeah, exactly. word for word, and so you, I mean, you really mm-hmm. do have to go onto those websites that are like, you know, like, a lot, like, all of my shows, I actually download, like, essays mm-hmm. and, right. you know, <laughs> to right. actually get real mm-hmm. information and because you can't tell if what they're saying is just, like, regurgitated from 15 years ago, you know, just... Well, yeah. Well, it's like <laughs> you, you had a list here of things that are common misconceptions about history that weren't really true that we all like you say they just get repeated over and over like for example it's not history but like the idea that you should wear a hat because you lose 90 percent of the heat through your head yeah there's no scientific basis for that there never was some advertising person made it up or like you know you should drink eight glasses of water a day there's no scientific evidence for that yeah or that you the get the ten thousand steps thing? Not real. Yeah, somebody <laughs> just made it up. I mean, it's good. It's good, but it's not. Yeah. It, it's but it's just. And, and the same thing with a lot of the historical things that we think of. I mean, you you see the same things repeated over and over because it's easy. Because you know, at some point, you know, it was on Wikipedia and somebody found it, and so everybody just yeah. You know, and many times, as I'm sure you found when you are doing your research, like you said, it's many times it's exactly the same words. It's not even here's information that's been refiltered. It's like this is the exact same words that people yeah. wrote probably 20 years ago, and then because it's easy to repeat. Yeah, copy paste. Yeah. Copy paste. That's right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um. I did want to do talk about um, like when um, like alternative facts mm-hmm. and how that affects history. So like fake news and if and it kind of all ties together. So like now we're not like us but like we're making history as we speak as mm-hmm. we live and if people are the vocal minority are you know creating alternative news mm-hmm. how does that affect history in the future 
Well, I think one thing that's going on is that there is so much more raw material for history now. Yeah. I mean, what not just with the internet, but even people being able to type. Yeah. Um, people, um, that, the, the, the electronic storage of documents and creation of documents, mm -hmm. it's huge. I mean, I work for the federal government, and when you realize the volume of records that are kept, the problem is, of course, that there are so many records how are you that how do you discriminate it? between, yeah, exactly, how do you study it? And there are historians who have incredibly obscure, you know, areas of expertise. Like I, I had a case where one of the questions was, what happened in this, these industrial plants during World War II? And there are people who study administrative law from that time period and these incredibly dry uh, analysis of what happened and how it happened, you know, because there is just so much. You, ha you can only pick a manageable amount. Now, yeah. there are still people who are what we would call narrative historians, like somebody, oh, what's, I have to think of the names, but um, people who write history that's kind of unfootnoted history, who are telling a story. Mm -hmm. Like David McCullough, perfect mm -hmm. example. You know, the one who wrote the biography of Harry Truman and the Johnstown Flood and the Panama Canal and all these things. And um, that's a trend that people like to read about. It's uh, And it's based on historical research, but it's big themes. It's yeah. not... And it's human and it's human scale, too. I mean, it's about the people as opposed to the very arcane very specific things that some people study. Right. But you know, like you're saying, there's just so much. And of course now, I mean, look at what, think of photography, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be, you know, a lot of people took a lot of photographs. But you would take your photographs and you'd wait, and then you'd get your 12 pictures or your 24 pictures, and that was it. And you couldn't communicate it to anybody. Now, it's like people would come over billions here. and billions yeah. of pictures taken every day. Yeah, like people would come over to your house to look at. You know, right. they came back from a trip and be like, "Have a dinner with me. Look at my right. photos." Right. You know? And now it's somebody who wants to show your their photos. That you're a pest. Yeah. You know, it's just there's just so much raw material because of the technology, and it makes it harder to even know where to start to winnow it out. Yeah. Well, and how do you know what things go to what event and, like, you know, because people don't print them out anymore. Right. And so, like, I, most of the photos would have, like, things written on the back right, of them. Right, Because it was manageable to do that. Yeah. <laughs> now, not so much. Well, your average person now probably has three or 4,000 pictures on their phone. Yeah. You know, I think how many albums that would take, that would, yeah. you would need to have that. And yeah. how often do you go back? I mean, sometimes you do. And it's a lot easier to sit and flip through your, your pictures than it was to go out and get the album. And, yeah. you know, and then all those corners you used to yeah. lick to put the pictures in would get all dried up and the 
pictures would fall out and everything. <laughs> but I, th but I, I think you touched on something, and that is just the sheer amount of raw material there is now. I mean, who are going to be the chroniclers of 50 years from now, if we're even around? Well, <laughs> and, I mean, are they saving all the social media feeds? Are they... I mean, because a lot of this stuff, like the vocal minority stuff, people are rising against something or doing something, making big deals out of, I mean, it could be something, could be nothing, yeah. making big deals, but that's not documented necessarily on paper. Yeah, no, that's true. It, it's. I mean, because if, all, say, for example, Twitter just went down, are those being saved well think of <laughs> i mean another i think i is. i think i saw a um i don't know where i saw it. this is just in passing right and i just thought to it said that the for the first 10 years of twitter the government saved every single tweet mm -hmm. and now it only saves the important ones yeah yeah <laughs> well and that's so. you know that's that's just the way of the world and you know we're so dependent on the technology that, you know, for example, think of all the things that are on floppy disks. Yeah. Nobody has a way to read it. Yeah. I mean, specialists do, but there are, you know, shelf after shelf after shelf of things like that, which... There was a lady in the 70s who, like, obsessively recorded every show from, like... 1970. Yeah, I think I've heard of yeah. her. Yeah. And she's like the only reason why we have yeah. a lot of those right. shows still. Right. Is because she recorded them. Right. Yeah. Some Thanks. lady. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like. That's that's a it's a concern. I mean, history. You know, in the old days, the problem was there weren't enough sources to back up what people were interpreting and how they came up with writing the history. Now, it's the opposite. There's yeah. too much. Well, I mean, at the same time, we're, like, talking about this, right? And it's like, you know, we can't, you know, read that or, you know, we can't look that up or... But it's kind of like... It's like hoarder status. <laughs> you know, why do we need all that stuff? Why, yeah. you know, we've been doing fine with, like, a vase and, you know, a writing on a cave wall. Like, why, yeah. you know... I mean... Well, I mean, it partly is because we, that's how we communicate these days. We communicate in writing, not so much in, I mean, we do on an everyday basis, yeah. but basically for business, yeah. or it's it's essentially all in writing because you want to keep something in case. I think why it's, what's scary about it is that everything's on the computer. Yeah, I mean, what happens when the electromagnetic pulse happens and wipes out all the memories or yeah or what you know what happens when the technology changes and they you can't read like the floppy disk you can't read it anymore on the reel-to-reel -reel yeah. computer tapes they used to have years ago yeah well I don't know I and I think the other thing is that we're so bombarded with information that it's harder to take a step back and try to make sense of it because it's just 24-hour news cycle yeah that's I mean 
I think that's really rough too because before I was like everyone was either I'm against this, I'm for this, you know, like based on the one news show they saw at 6 p.m., you know, yeah. or the like everybody. Newspaper. That's very <laughs> thing. Everybody had shared experiences. They don't now. Things are all fragmented. Yeah. So, anything else that you wanted to raise? Uh, the mic. Um. Oh, history repeats itself. Did you know, by the way? I found this interesting. History repeats itself. First as a tragedy, second as a farce. That's the whole quote. Did you know that? Uh, I had not heard that quote, but... Yeah, that was by Karl Marx. And Mark Twain said, History never repeats itself, but it often does rhyme. That's what Mark Twain said. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Um, History repeats itself in the sense that human events are based on human nature, and human nature never changes. Ah, I said... We see the same events happening again because it's human nature. <laughs> That's right. And I said, uh, because it's human nature to find patterns and similarities in things. Well, right, exactly. I mean, it's not the same thing, but you want to not be the only person this happened to in yeah. all of time. Right. <laughs> you know, this is, I mean... That's no idea. The history in the end is an expression of the human need to impose order on things that at first glance don't seem to have any um, any comprehensive um, form. It says, I had one, the greater, the greater degree of myth we allow, the less able we become to handle change. History is the conceptual tool we have invented to allow us to make sense of changing conditions and to recognize the conditions that surround us at any time as the result of en of endless contingency. Who said that? Um, Sean. Britannica. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, should we wind up? Yeah. Okay. That was uh, interesting. What did you find interesting? Um, just sitting and talking, you know, blathering, which yeah. is my usual way of imposing order on the universe. <laughs> but I, thank you for inviting me to be on it. I enjoyed yeah. it. It was fun. Yeah, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Pretty fun. I don't normally do history stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. All right. So, that's my pops. That's my dad. <laughs> so... He is Dan Pinkston. I'm Purple Trader 3169. Like, follow, subscribe. Thanks. Send money. Yeah, I could do with some money. <laughs> Lots of it. Okay. Okay, bye. <laughs>